0: Hey, welcome to How Do You Engineer, a podcast that is recorded on offline radio. I'm a host, Peter Martin.
1: I'm a host, Abby Desjardins.
0: And I'm a host, Simon Whitmel.
2: And I should probably and... say something right now. And I uh, apparently am the guest on here, Manjula Salvaraja.
3: Oh, I'm right. glad you stepped in for that. We uh,
0: we we're not terribly good at knowing how we're going to introduce people every week. It's it's, it's different every time. Yeah. We're a little out of practice. Normally, Simon takes over, so I left it up to him. And I guess we're we haven't done an interview in quite a little while, so it's a little it's bit a solving, little rougher. I guess.
2: That's okay. I'll just talk whenever there's a pause. That's
3: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. It's fine. Um, yes. So here we are, not on the radio, but we are going to talk about radio. Um, yeah. Yes. Manjula is a you're a producer on Metro Morning.
2: That's right. So I'm a freelance journalist, but it just so happens that most of the work that I do is, um, as a producer, uh, for CBC Radio's uh, Toronto morning show. It's called Metro Morning.
3: Yes. Cool. This is w- well known to people around here, but I guess we can't assume that our readership or our listenership would have any idea what we were
0: talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, we just got a really nice, uh, message on Facebook the other day from a listener in BC. So it's we there are people out there that are not local so yeah oh, nice thank you wow
2: that's a, that's <laughs> impressive oh good for you guys i mean reach is always lovely and i mean <laughs> you, you you folks are working on a podcast i work for a radio show like when you hear from people saying "I listen," it, even if it's just like that one person, it feels great, right?
4: Yeah, that feels <laughs> so, yeah. good.
2: Because that's the sometimes, whole why we do it. yeah, it's just you're <laughs> speaking into a microphone, and sometimes you don't know, you don't have that. It's not like a speech where you see that immediate effect, right? But mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. just a little bit on on. So CBC has uh, local shows all across the country, and it just so happens that this is quite a popular show in Toronto. It's hosted by fantastic gentleman matt galloway and uh what we cover is just current affairs news and all sorts of interesting things that happen in the city
0: great it's one of my favorites i uh actually weirdly i before i got into listening to podcasts i listened to metro morning every day but now i now i have too many podcasts and not enough time uh, (laughs) it's great
3: (laughs) (laughs) um so 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 people know where we're coming from in terms of um the interview uh, you're a friend of Adriano's who we interviewed a while ago and um, all right and we this is another I guess in a series now of people who have engineering degrees and have gone on to do completely unrelated things and it'll be interesting to, to know uh, to to hear the uh, the genesis of ending up in freelance journalism I suppose
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, yeah absolutely so I guess before we get into the deep important stuff let's uh let's do something ridiculous (laughs) and uh so pete you were saying you thought since it was uh we're talking about recording recording on the radio recording on podcasts why don't we figure out how we would record something yeah
0: yeah i mean for a few episodes now um we've uh we, we tried to come up with brainstorming topics that are related to the topic at hand for the episode so what's more along the lines of recording for radio than how to make a microphone um and it, it's a good question that abby had which is whether or not we want to do like a studio microphone or like a portable microphone because mm-hmm. mm. you uh is saying that you you are a freelance journalist i have this vision in my mind of you kind of wandering through the through the world with a microphone talking to people so being in a studio is maybe a little bit different
2: i think that most uh, most journalists i think do both right um I think they'd have, they'd have to be used to sort of both kind of formats, but you know, I think we should specify things because it changes. Oh, we may start with one and kind of move to the other, right?
0: Mm -hmm. For sure. That's a good point. Yeah. When I was thinking about this in the car on the way home, I was thinking that we might end up with something the size of a room. So yes, (laughs) and which is, it's so (laughs) funny that you
2: said that. I was actually pretty convinced we would, we would, because when you said that, I started thinking, my goodness, how do they pack it all in into this little Yeti mic that's sitting in front of me? It's pretty remarkable, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a, have a little bit of an advantage because when I was in graduate school, I actually took a course on Microelectromechanical systems or MEMS and uh, part of it was to write a report on the different types of MEMS approaches to microphones. So I have I know a little bit in the mists of my brain about how microphones are made but uh, ah. <laughs> it's a uh, it's not enough to be able to make one. Okay. <laughs> it's just enough to know vaguely how they work. Yeah
3: okay so it, it, we could generalize the problem and just say we need to turn sound into electrical signals of some sort. That's right. right exactly. That's right. That, That'll well, apply
1: it. I was going to say, what's wrong with our current solutions? What's wrong with the microphones we have in front of us?
3: Are we trying to engineer a better one?
1: I, I guess. Maybe. Maybe an ideal microphone?
0: We, we, we started, like a little while ago, we started out with trying to make something that exists. But if you want to... You're right, we've gone on to the topics of making things better. And in that case, I guess they're not as good as the human ear. Is that uh, fair to say? Hmm. I guess it would be it would be interesting if you
3: could uh if you could make a microphone that was like intelligently able to decide what it was listening to and uh what it needed to tune out. Because I oh, like the noise canceling. Yeah, but noise cancelling you're always having to you have to apply it after the fact and it's you're you're always trying to you have to give it an example of what it needs to ignore, like a very specific signal. If, if I recall, like when you're doing, when you're getting rid of, of background noise, you need, you need a good, clean sample of the noise you want to get rid of.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. So like an intelligent microphone that can decipher your voice versus things around you or something?
3: Well, I mean, like as a human ear, it, it gathers all the information up, but then it'll, it, you
0: can selectively focus on specific sounds you're listening to. Mm-hmm. It's okay. funny you said that because I was thinking that, uh, I mean, microphones generally are just, a diaphragm, and then something that senses vibrations in the diaphragm and converts them to, like you said, voltages. It's not a hugely complicated system, but when you said uh, something better and something that uses that intelligence, I was wondering, is there a way to take an external diaphragm and interface it to the human brain? So the brain does all of the filtering and all of the noise cancellation? Yeah. Like basically make bigger huh. ears?
2: <laughs> I was actually thinking what's, what's weird about microphones is that we, we actually use microphones for very limited reasons right we actually really use them just to capture voice uh, to to send a message across but i think the whole idea of having it um having the average person use their voice to have things happen so just to take i think the idea that either peter or simon threw out there but not just to not just to be able to say well it's this person speaking or this is the sound that i hear but to be able to uh detect uh nuances in there uh, and to be mm. able to tra- like, I th- I just think we haven't we haven't really gotten to the point where you can command things like we just we for some reason I I think it should be available right, ah. but we haven't so you're, re-
4: like
3: you're you're losing cues because you're the recording doesn't capture all of the things that you would want or all the information that there is in. What you're what you would be listening to
2: That's right so there's the nuances is the first Point that that you're that that is Being missed and then the second thing is that uh, The ability to sort of convert That into action right mm.
4: um,
2: I, okay. I, just, I just don't Think that we do enough of that Um and, and there's so, I mean, so much is said with the human voice. Like I walk in and pretty much what happens through the, through the whole day is my, me interacting with my entire family, calling things, getting things done with my voice, right?
4: Hmm.
2: Yeah.
3: That's yeah, really interesting. Yeah, voice commands are, are really underused. It's also interesting because you you prompted a memory in my like. I I have friends that I can have entire conversations with in just inflectioned inflection sounds. They're not words. It's kind of <laughs> like grunt, grunts and weird sounds that if you recorded it would have no meaning to most people. But if you could hear it, like if it was recorded with enough fidelity, yeah. you could get all that
0: information in like, eh, 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 like weird noises that aren't really words. That's kind of neat. Um, there's a, this reminds me of a book series that I read where, uh, <laughs> of course, it actually reminds me of two book series, one of which Simon knows where, uh, there's a, a language that involves both, uh, speech and also hand movements. But, uh, mm. um, there's a different book series that I read called, it's, uh, part of the Homecoming series by Orson Scott Card. Mm. And, uh, at one point they embed a microphone or at least some sort of sensor inside the main character's, um, jaw, like inside the, the lower part of his, of his, uh, mouth. And he's able to communicate with a computer system basically by subvocalizing. So he's he's speaking, but he's not actually speaking out loud. But because it's embedded inside his jaw, it can actually pick up the the movements and the sub vocalizations. It's really interesting
2: so you don't actually oh that is so neat that you wouldn't have to so that would also mean that i remember this this one particular episode of seinfeld where there was a joke about it's funny so i'm not going to retell it because i won't be able to capture what
4: he does (laughs) but it
2: was something interesting about how sort of jerry was walking around the city jerry seinfeld and he said wouldn't it be interesting if you just thought you needed to call someone and you immediately connected to them and, and it, mm. it started making me think, yeah, like, why do we need the voice itself or the microphone itself? Why can't we just have, because the vibrations are there. So we're basically taking these vibrations and then we keep sort of changing them from one medium to the other, right? And what if it was more direct, right? And mm. what if it even skipped that, that, that having to sort of detect it in your voice and actually went straight to your brain to say, I am thinking of having a coffee right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd really like to speak to my mom right now. And that happened. Uh, and wow. I, I, I remember thinking this was like, I was like, that is so cool. I would like that. You
0: know? That would actually have some advantages for podcasting too, because in podcasting, especially over Skype like this, uh, we'll tend to talk over each other a little bit. And so if you were doing it that way, you could kind of cue the voices. So you would think about what you want to say. And then the the system that was recording would sort of line them up and make sure that Simon had finished saying his thought before I said mine and things like that and make it a bit smoother. (laughs) Be like a forum space or
3: something. (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm I'm thinking that this is an application where we could use if, if we go back to sort of trying to capture more of the information in speech rather than just the sounds. I wonder if this would be an application of like neural networks where you could create a system that would learn not just to understand the words you were saying but also the way you were saying them and the like the the information that's embedded in the sounds around what you're
0: saying or even something like you've been working through Simon with your shorthand with like a way to express. Um, like your your thoughts and sent and uh, your int your not intuition, but the the ex- sort of the outcome of what you want people to understand, but in a shorter, more compact way. Mm, like compress the data down, so you're not just dealing with the actual like straight recording of it,
3: but a a distillation of the information there. Like therein contained. Yeah, something more intelligent than like an MP3. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I, I I feel like that's something you could do with neural networks if you could teach it well enough. Like Hmm. it'd be be like how you learn to understand when someone's talking to you and, and you you don't, you don't sit there and like sound out what they've said in your head to turn into meaning. It turns into like specific thoughts and specific information that is conveyed non-verbally within your mind. I wonder if you could teach a machine to do that. That's
0: really interesting. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're getting obviously as per usual way off topic for, yeah.
1: for what we, yeah, but, we set
0: out to do, but it, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's
1: a really cool thought though. That is yeah. a
2: really cool thought. And I would, yeah, you know, it's interesting though. I, I'm trying to, it's funny because sometimes we think of things that are cool because they're, wow, that would be cool. But what would be the purpose of something like that? At the end of the day, I mean, isn't that part of what happens in engineering? Because, It has to, it has to have a purpose.
4: Um, And a a lot of the things that we've
2: talked about are very cool. And, and it could be that, that these things are designed and thought of for, for, for sort of a long span of time and then the purpose appears. But that's a lot of, (laughs) that is a lot of uh, investment in that. I just, I'm trying to, Mm -hmm. I think it's really cool, but I'm trying to think of a purpose and I feel like it's out there, but you know.
3: Well, I, I, I'm, I guess what's interesting to me is I'm wondering if this could solve, um, ironically, like I'm recording a podcast, but I suffer from like telephone anxiety. I hate calling people because I I, like talking on the telephone makes me anxious. Just the worst. Yeah. Which it makes it really strange that we then sit here and record ourselves (laughs) to put out on the internet. Well, we do it in person. I don't mind talking in person. So that's generally why I prefer it. Yeah. But that's interesting because talking in person, even if I have like my eyes closed, I don't find it like I don't feel like there's as much information lost as there is when you're talking over the telephone. And I'm not sure what that information is, but I think that that's the kind of information that this system could capture and make sure that it's conveyed effectively so you don't feel like you're in danger of being misinterpreted when you're talking over the telephone Mm -hmm. i I think that's where that's where the anxiety comes from is that you know there's information being lost over when you're talking to someone over the telephone and it's the fear that that's that those nuances because they're lost will cause you to be misinterpreted or misunderstood Mm -hmm. Um, and i'm wondering if that's what this system like this kind of system where it could capture additional information and pass it along in a more distilled form like a more concise and clear form so you know for sure that the information is being captured and passed along the way you mean it to be
0: that's sort of what i was getting at when i was talking about uh wise man's fear the the novel Mm -hmm. by pat rothfuss basically they their face their faces hold generally no emotion Um, unless they're with their family or very intimate friends, their faces are totally blank and their voices are very monotone, but they communicate all of the emotions and all the intents with hand gestures. So they'll say something like, um, I can't believe you did that. And their face is totally passive, but then their hand will express like concern, amazement, um, Deep seated, um, like insight into someone, like maybe you could sort of have these weird emotions expressed and intents expressed with the hand gestures. So what you're saying, Simon, is basically if you could capture through either like a sensor system that somebody would have on their body or in different parts of their body that would pick up on cues that they would normally, you'd normally see with your, with your, your eyes or, or other, um, senses when you're talking to someone, um, and express those to somebody over the phone you'd find that yeah. more. So it's not just voice, it's voice plus those cues and those sort of like um, elements of conversation that you don't get just with voice. Well, I, like, I'm wondering if it's, if it's something to do with the fidelity of the recording
3: um, or if it is actually something truly visual. Cause I don't, I don't know that those cues are necessarily lost as soon as you don't have visuals, but it's, they, uh, it, there's definitely some information that's lost either through low, like lack of fidelity o- of the recording or through, a change in the way you communicate when you're on like when you're you know that you're communicating purely through voice Mm -hmm. so it'd be an interesting like sociological experiment just to know what whether people are communicating differently or where that information is being lost yeah well
2: well, it's interesting because when you look at even i mean you know part of the problem when you when you sort of use when you when you type things out is yet you miss all of that as well Right. Mm, For sure. But, but there are times that you want, you want to miss that. Like recently I had to respond by email to a slightly rude person and I had to write, (laughs) I had to write, uh, in an email, um, you know, I am grateful for whatever it was. Meanwhile, I was like, I am not grateful. I am so (laughs) not grateful. So, you know, part of, part of what that. Intentional
3: obfuscation. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's, I want the option to have certain, Certain senses and certain feelings, um, uh, kept discreet, right? I suppose mm-hmm. that's true. But, yeah. But the thing is, I think, I think you make an interesting uh, point about, uh, just voice and being able to transmit those sort of nuances because I think that if you could, would that possibly cut down on all the chit chat you have to do? You know, when you call in and you're like, I'm calling and I want to sort of soften things up or,
0: you know. Mm. It, it, so, the small talk. The small yeah. talk,
2: which, which, you know, and, and I think that it could also soften up those, those uh, soften up or harden up, whatever the case may be, those emails <laughs> and texts that you do. But I think that, I think, Um, As as we get more disconnected, I think we're actually losing out on on sending a certain sense along with the messages that we give out. And if I could choose to give out the authentic sense of what I have behind this piece of communication that I have, or a fake sense that I pick, I'd like to do that. (laughs) I would love for my text <laughs> to have my, or my email to have sort of that whatever that is um, transmitted along with it. But I get the chance to pick what that is.
3: Yeah, that raises an interesting the the ability to to tailor after you after the fact that information mm-hmm. to to in, imply the the state of mind or the uh, undertone that you want yeah. rather than necessarily the one that was actually recorded. Yeah, that that is an interesting thought.
2: Then what you could have is you know there there are some of us that may not be as I don't know maybe as salesy or may not be as social or may not be as <laughs> as, as discreet or whatever. You know we all have our own different levels of different things. And now Mm -hmm. I can buy a level. Perhaps if I'm not really that aggressive, I can buy the aggressive persona (laughs) or
4: maybe I can
2: buy the confident persona or the super nurturing persona, right? So let's say I'm having a bad day, but I have to be nurturing to my daughter who's sending me, you know, awful texts. Then I'll just employ the nurturing (laughs) persona, which is totally not how I'm feeling, but I need to, right?
0: That's really interesting.
3: It's now, it's, now it's almost sounding like a, um, uh, like an encoding question. It's mm-hmm. a question, okay, we, we have our audio recording, but we have this, 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 um, superliminal emotional level track. of, yeah, exactly. Something you record and you can, you can put, put in cues for, okay, actually, you know what this is? Do you know what this is? This is, I've, i this has just occurred to me. What you need is the ability to add a, uh, a musical soundtrack over top of your recording oh, constantly. Yeah. That that's, <laughs> you, you can, that you can adjust and you Defines have Like, okay. The mood. It, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
4: It's, it's almost it's like
3: pathetic fallacy, but. No, like yeah, the technology dip, yeah. is already there. You just need somebody to be constantly creating a nice little like background music <laughs> thing. So when you're, when you're, when you're angry, it becomes suddenly very like, s- like <laughs> dour and serious and then like.
4: <laughs>
2: okay,
3: or if now, you're I'm angry, but, to, but you want to
2: sound really nice, then you have this yeah. kind of. <laughs>
3: Yeah, then it switches to something dramatic, but it's not, not, uh, not an attacks, not an attacking theme.
0: Oh man. Okay. Now we need to build this machine. I want, I want to have like the theme song <laughs> playing over when I record things for people. That's awesome. One other, one final thing I thought of was, uh, the more that you, like what we're getting at is that basically, as with many things, the more that you instrument and the more that you, um, add intelligence to data gathering. So basically, just like Google does and just like a lot of companies do nowadays, you take loads and loads of instrumented data and then you process it and inspect it. Like Simon was saying, you use neural networks to gain some learning out of it. And then you can do a lot with the power of the ability to look at that and, and, and into it from all the data, what somebody is thinking or feeling. That'd be a really great application for someone with um, like a disability, like autism yes.
4: or, yeah. or other mm-hmm. abilities
0: where they can't really express themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or, and, and to
3: aid in recognizing What's going on in terms of like, like subliminal cues and things in conversation for sure. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Wow.
2: We have an application or two at least. It sounds-
3: <laughs> <laughs> I like that we got here from making a microphone. Here. Yeah. <laughs> As, uh, I like this, this better is, this though. On, I'd like yeah, this better sure. too. Yes. All right. Um, okay. So shall we, shall we now go back to? the 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 original intent of the interview
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think it's time
3: i am genuinely curious to know a given that like you you seem like a very um you seem quite at home with your current role of journalism and working in the radio so what how did you get into engineering originally
2: Boy, well, I think the the way that most people did. I I um I was you know reasonably good at a certain set of, a set of my courses in high school, so math, uh, physics, all of that stuff. You know, mm. uh, it's funny because I was raised in a I would say a pretty conservative South Asian family, um, a Tamil family, which meant that. You know, you should start by thinking about being a neurosurgeon and then think about everything else. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so,
4: so once my
2: parents figured that I couldn't kind of stand the sight of blood, it was like, well, I don't think she's going to do that. Right? <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting because I think part of me when I was growing up, I, I think I, I thought that there were certain things you did. And I because I, you know, wasn't terrible at school, I thought I was going to become a doctor or an engineer. And I I had a, I met a cousin of mine who was just a very cool guy uh, the first time I came to the States. So we used to live in Nigeria, West Africa before. I came here when I was uh, 15. And uh, one of the first uh, people that I met when I came here was my cousin. And he had graduated from uh, engineering in the States. And... And I just thought he was super nice and super cool. And I thought, I think I should become an engineer. So <laughs> it wasn't this, this, um, this other sort of, I don't know. I, p- perhaps people have different reasons. The other thing that I, that I remember really vividly about growing up is we used to, you know, in our physics courses in, in Nigeria, they would show us, I remember this memory really vividly that they showed us. Uh, on, on the board, one of our teachers drew out how to become, how to uh, make a mortar or how a mortar works. And no one in the class understood because it was this flat chalk drawing. And I came home and my dad actually decided for some reason to take something apart and show it to me. And then he says, you know what? Why don't we try to build one from scratch?
0: Nice. That's perfect. Wow.
2: And, what's cr- and he was the kind of guy, he was an accountant, but he was the kind of person that talked about UFOs at home. So I never had a <laughs> sense at home that, the, first of all, I thought that this stuff was, so I went back to school and then I started explaining it to other pe- uh, people. So I became the girl in class who understood the electronics course, who understood mm-hmm. physics. And so I just assumed that I was great at it. Um and it just yeah and the other thing that that surprised me was that there was never any language uh at home that there was never any talk about women not doing engineering there was never like i so it came as a shock to me when i came here and i was in my in my guidance uh in, so in Toronto. um I, in Parkdale was where we arrived and, uh, I went to school and I was having a conversation with my guidance counselor and I said, I think I'm going to be an engineer. And the guidance counselor said something to the effect of, oh, that's an interesting choice, uh, for, for a young woman. And that was the first time that I realized that possibly a ton of women do Isn't that interesting? That it was yeah. never. So it <laughs> mm-hmm. goes to show you that you can bring people up to think they can pretty much do anything till mm-hmm. someone tells them that I'm not so sure about it.
4: Regardless, you know, <laughs> then
2: I-, I-, I decided to go ahead anyway, went to Queens to do engineering. I did mechanical. And because the time, uh, the times that I graduated, job prospects weren't great and Telecom and, you know, everything on the e-side of things. The internet was on the rise. I decided to go into, into telecom and then software. And that's kind of my path of the first part of my, my work life. Um, you know, graduating from engineering and ending up at an engineering job, uh, both first in telecom and then as a, um, in marketing at a software company. Wow. Hmm. Okay. So
0: even the transition from engineering to marketing is pretty is pretty, uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, I'll say, I'll say this, uh, before my job at CBC, I worked at a company called Eliqua. It was a, a startup, and that's where I met one of your former guests, uh, Adriano Basso. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh, a VP of marketing there, and it is pretty much before my job at CBC the best job I've ever had. It was amazing because when you work at a startup, you have this—you just you get to make decisions, you get to learn things on the fly. But there's there's this room to succeed, but there's also this room to fail, right? Mm-hmm. And it just was this phenomenal experience. I mean, the team is really strong. Um, you you're you're learning things so fast that I think that that I don't think any MBA could have taught me what I learned uh, learned Maybe. at the job. But well. the 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 good part about it is obviously all of that that happened and the journey that Eloqua had. But the thing it left me with is, because I was trying to, before this podcast, I was like, what am I going to tell these guys of why I chose journalism? And I was like, I've got to come up with a really good reason. So I drew a mind map, and I tried to come up with different reasons. Oh, wow. oh my goodness. So because no one's really, I mean, people have asked me about it, but I've never had to sit down with someone for this length of time and really explain it. And I think what happened through my Eloqua journey is that you start believing that you can do anything which is good and bad right mm-hmm. so so what happened is um, after I'd worked at Eloqua for a while I decided to leave to to start a family which myself and my husband did um, we have a little one now a daughter not so little she's uh, she'd like to say. Um, she's a little person now, not a baby. Apparently, um, she's she's eight years old. But then okay. I thought, okay, now that I'm kind of done this, um, you know, I've been uh, away from from the um, from the workforce for a couple of years. What am I going to do? I could go back. Uh, I could go back into this. I loved that job. I would could go back into it. But I happened at that time to be volunteering at an organization that was dealing with these. Boatloads of ref Tamil refugees that were appearing on Canada's coastlines. There were, mm-hmm. I mean, there weren't boatloads. There was, I think, just a few boats, but people described them as boatloads. And I started meeting a lot of uh, journalists in the work that that we did, and something just clicked. I just went, you know what? I think I I want to try this 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 job. And then I spoke to a bunch of mentors. All of whom told me it was a terrible idea that here I had spent my time, <laughs> which is, you know what, probably the best advice that I got because they were being very frank with me. They said, you have built up your career, you've put all of this effort in, and you, and it wasn't a case of you not liking what you did. You liked what you did. Why would you start at sort of like, you know, at the ground floor again? And then I decided to meet with a whole bunch of experienced journalists and they all said the same thing. I so, <laughs> it was like and it was like I felt it was the worst kind of you know when you have the let let me have a coffee with twenty people to figure out the next step in my life? It was mm-hmm. like I had made a decision and I was looking for one person who would say, Yeah, go ahead and do it and I couldn't find a single person. Oh dear. So, so I just thought, you know what? I have very little to lose. Um If this goes kind of if, if it goes really bad, I will work my behind off. It won't be an easy journey, but I will work my behind off to get back into what I was doing before. Mm. Uh, but I have very little to lose, and I'm going to give myself a time frame, um, which o- obviously is around also the fact that I can't be out there not making money, right? Because right. we all need to pay our bills. Mm-hmm. So so that was the case. And so I actually went back to school for it. I took um, a journalism course at a place nearby, um, Durham College out near Pickering, because then that also allowed me to be near my daughter as well. Mm-hmm. And... I told myself when I started that course, I'll give myself a week. And if everyone around me is practically half my age, if everyone's, you know, not really into it, if I hate it, I'm going to stop. And (laughs) I loved it. And I I went in wanting to get into print journalism, fell in love with radio about sort of a couple of months in and that was it. And then I thought, okay, then I'm going to aim to work for CBC radio, something we've listened to at home for ages. And that's what Took me to where I'm now, and I, I'll say I have my good days and my bad days, <laughs> and that's what happens when you it, it, it do any kind of transition, even transitioning from a very engineering role into the in the company into something else that's that's on the other side, um, you mm-hmm. know, be it marketing or operations or finance or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But this was this wasn't kind of a lateral move. This was me starting uh, again. But I'll say that um, the the wonderful moments and the fact that. Sometimes I get to work on very meaningful stories, just makes it up. So, but it's a daily hustle and I plan to keep doing it until there are people out there that say we refuse to pay you, then I will have to find something else. But so I'm not going to tell people that if you're thinking of that kind of a transition, um, really think through it. Make sure that there are some savings in your bank account to kind of help you through it and then be ready to just work like crazy. Um, that's, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to say therefore there's definitely something at the end of the, the rainbow, but these are the three things I think you need to, to do your research, you know, have some money in the bank and hustle. Those are the three nice. pieces
3: of, uh, you know, advice mm-hmm. I can give you. You've struck on an interesting, I think that anybody who's made their way through an engineering program has had this moment where you finally finish the program and you think I've put so much work and like it's been such a crazy uh, amount of effort to get through an engineering program that it becomes un- sort of unthinkable to do anything else because mm-hmm. you're like, I- I- I've got all this blood, sweat and tears into this de- into this yeah. degree. Like, how could I not then go get an engineering? Or if, if you're working in engineering to say, okay, how could I go do something that wouldn't have required an engineering degree after I've like, there's a sunk cost fallacy there. Yes. I,
2: yes. <laughs> I felt that even with, I mean, not just the degree, but even after so many years of, especially with the startup working late nights and all of those things and you know, getting to a certain level. I mean that was what most of my mentors, they're like, why you're not you're tossing like late nights out too. Like you're tossing all of that out, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that I I I think it is a real I think it's almost a tougher decision to make if you were just coming out of school um Mm -hmm. in your twenties. But I will say this that if you're gonna make a tough decision, that's the time to make it because you May not have, you have a couple of years to make some mistakes before you straighten your, you know, straight, straighten your course or pick on something, or pick something, right? Mm-hmm. So.
3: Yeah, and you And before you, before you start building, like once you get out into the, into industry and you start building connections to specific parts of the industry, specific people in the industry, then those things have, have value and independent of a degree, like pretty much anyone can get a degree, but as soon as you start, you start building connections within the industry and it starts adding momentum to your career, that's difficult, makes it even more difficult to change, change directions.
1: Yeah.
2: Agreed. And you know, the other thing too is that when there are people that I meet sometimes times that because it's so easy to transition we are in an era like our you know our parents when they chose to be an accountant you were an accountant for life right <laughs> yeah but but now you can go take courses you can do this you can get an MBA like it's just there's so many options it's this this yeah. and, and that in a way is can be very paralyzing and I think you know one of the things you have to I, I met you know I've met a couple of people who've sort of changed jobs and positions like multiple times. And one of the things that you have to remember is when you do that, uh, this is just my opinion, but I think that the mistake you could be making is that, you know, in any job that you go into, you your job may end up being like 80% tedious, awful stuff and 20% awesome stuff. And then mm. the longer that you work at that role, it kind of changes. It becomes 50-50. And then one day you're like, wow, I'm at, you know, 80% awesome and 20% awful, right? <laughs> but, but I feel like if you keep changing, making major changes, you're always doing that 80, 80-20. You're not getting over the hump,
4: right? Yeah. Mm. That's so- interesting.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking in terms of the transition that you made. Cause I thought it was very, fascinating that you went so abruptly into your your new path because I was thinking like you said about how nowadays with MOOCs and things like that you can you can train yourself and make a much more sort of gradual slow transition maybe from getting closer and closer to the field that you want to be in I have friends who've started in engineering in a totally different field and been really sort of fascinated by another part of Still engineering, but it's a totally different sort of subgenre and they sort of slowly move into different roles and different roles and then go to a new company and move through that company. And it's sort of a much more gradual shift than that yeah. abrupt shift. And I mean, it's, it, like you said, it's very motivational and, and it gives you that passion and drive that you might need to really succeed. But, uh, it's interesting that you can that sort of dynamic of the, the, the abrupt change and the, the 80 20 transition versus sort of a, a much slower move.
2: Exactly, and that's why, you know, I, I just don't want to romanticize it for anyone that, that you have to know what you're getting into, and I had a re- like I had- the journalism appealed to me but also I wanted to work on certain stories and I wanted to get into things and I you know there's certain things I'm curious about and this gave me an opportunity to 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 use that curiosity but I think that you have to be ready and you know there are some days that I do hit that that hump right and what I tell myself is this is what it is and this is what is going to be there in your life for the next 2 to 3 years and you just have to get over it and one mm-hmm. day you're going to be mm-hmm. at the the reverse the the other, other part of the 80-20. Maybe now it's more twenty eighty, right? Or mm-hmm. or it actually, I don't want to say that out loud because my boss is going to think I'm having a terrible life. I'm not. <laughs> it's more like sixty forty, 40 and I want it to be 40-60. But, you know, it's just something to remember that you have to be ready for that hump and you don't think when you hit it, I knew I wasn't meant for this. I wasn't. So let's say you go from being an engineer to a product manager. Like, I know I wasn't meant for that. Maybe I should go into operations and work my way to becoming, uh, you know, a, 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 I don't know, a CEO or finance working myself to be a cfo you do that for two years you're like oh this isn't meant for me either you do meet engineers like that that almost transition too much and Mm. even though i've been through all of this i will say that that if there is something in your job there's an inkling of something that you like about your job then ah i hate having to say this but like stick stay the course you know (laughs) because you are gonna build a network and that network will pay back and you are going to build good karma in it you are going to have and and knowledge it's so like there's so much passive knowledge you have of in a field after you even work 3 years you don't even know it you don't even yeah, know you are sure, yeah. mm-hmm. right so i am not i'm not t- saying that you shouldn't transition i'm just saying know what you're losing when you do it and have a crazy great reason that you're doing it other than i'm a little bored that just doesn't cut it <laughs> yeah. right
4: yeah
3: <laughs> Well, it's certainly if you're going to do the the kind of dramatic step, like what you did, um, as opposed to if, if you're, if you're just sort of like making moving laterally within a company, it's a lot less of a, I'm, you're throwing away what, what you liked about what you were doing previously. Yeah. Uh, so to make that kind of a dramatic change, you certainly need to, you need to know for sure where you want to be going, uh, rather than just trying to get, just moving away from what you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
2: And you know, I, I also think that if there are people out there that have, that are like, you know, you. I I, you're you're starting out in your job or you've even been been at it for 5 years and you're feeling that this is going to sound like advice. I hate giving advice, but I always find myself giving it. This is terrible. <laughs> so this might be terrible advice. So, you know, I hope people take this with a grain of salt, but it's, you know, I think that if you find yourself in a, in a position like that and, and you're frustrated and you, you sense that I'm looking to move roles within this company or within departments or outside this field altogether because I'm frustrated, there are ways that you can explore some things that you love or kind of bring that, bring that, that energy energy, uh, that dynamic quality, uh that creative quality back into your life. And I think like you guys doing this podcast, that's why I was so, so curious about it, because you all have these full time roles, and you're doing this, this lovely thing, right? So I think, you know, there there are groups that you can, you, that you can join, you can, I just think that you need to, to find ways to kind of um expand yourself in that way out of that cubicle or out of that, right. that floor that you're mm-hmm. on.
0: That's interesting yeah. to me, because for me, um the reason why I was interested, in your transition to marketing is because the role that that I've had for a while is is sort of close enough to marketing that that sort of activity has always been that creative outlet for me whether it's making like demos for for trade shows or going to um shows or um doing even like graphic design and video editing and things like that it's that's always been sort of the the outlet that i've had at at the office to sort of change gears and do something a little bit different and uh you're right it's absolutely something that, that keeps things a little bit interesting and gives you a change of pace
2: Exactly. And, and a side note, if you are considering marketing, uh, within sort of, uh, engineering and technology companies, it's a great role to have. Like I just, it's just fantastic. You meet some amazing people. So if you're thinking about that, that is a, transition you should consider like it's it's uh and it's not a far-fetched one for an engineer to make
3: it's it's that seems like uh yeah less it's a more of a within the same company you can make that kind of move how did how did you end up going from in like how did you get into marketing then because that that seems like less of a step out the door changing your direction kind of move it sounds Mm -hmm, like mm
4: -hmm. so i was
2: in a consulting role before i consulting role in another company before i came into to eloquo and the great thing about a startup is that in a way that's there there is a place that'll that that's willing to to risk things or experiment with you right Mm. so they brought me on to to create some to head up alliances and partnerships and eventually i gravitated towards marketing but it's almost Mm. like in my consulting role the consulting role was very technical and then i i almost used a startup to make that jump Right. Okay. And, okay. and it meant it meant learning a lot of things um, on the fly. But, you know, I wasn't the other one, oh, the only one, a colleague of mine had a similar technical role at another company and then came in and used uh, the startup world, starting out with Eloqua to move into a CFO role, which is what he's at now at another company. Right. Mm. So I find that startups in that way are a, a great um, doorway for engineers to make that switch without, you know, having to go through your MBA, which is another way that people do it.
3: Mm. Well, there's also, I mean, even just small companies in general where they, if they need someone to fill a role, like a marketing role within, within our company, we, we, a lot of people make the jump from, because what we're selling, we're selling to engineers. So it makes sense to have engineers in marketing. And so making that leap is a lot, is a lot simpler, but also because it's a small, it's a small enough company that there aren't those nearly as solid a wall between different departments you can move uh, more
0: easily, and I don't think that'd be true nearly as true with like a big a big corporation. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Especially sales, like sales as well is one that's close enough. Especially like you were saying, because oftentimes at our company, and I'm sure at other companies, our our executives have always like to show uh, this sort of a slide that they put together where it shows kind of a scruffy bearded guy standing on the right and a scruffy bearded different sort of uh, gentleman standing on the left, and they're like on the right is our employees and the left are our customers. So it's oh, like wow. basically for us it they've always found that when they send engineers out into the field to talk to customers the deals get done because they speak the wow. same language, they have the same interests, they they understand each other. So it's it's that's a really good transition also oftentimes.
2: That's interesting. So there you go. So that would be, you know, I would imagine then that you are at the perfect spot for it, right? Because then you're in a company that accepts that people can sort of make those transitions.
4: Mhm
3: and i mentioned there are lots of companies that are like that but there're probably also lots of companies that are very much not that way like i i i know i've worked i've worked for companies in the past where if you wanted to move between departments it was a full you applied as if you were an outside person the fact yes. that you were working for the company already had no bearing whatsoever on the application process and the thing it, is yeah. that
2: they would also expect you uh, you know, to have sort of some kind of further education beyond just your undergraduate or your masters um in yeah. engineering, right? On something on the business side and possibly even some you know, like a little bit of work experience that shows that you've done you've done something different, right? Mm-hmm. People actually I, I find use the product manager role as a as a way to kind of transition into huh, marketing. Yeah that seems to be sort of that entry point right because it does need that technical know-how but it's also this interface with marketing right so mm-hmm. one of the other things are to find role like if if you if you don't have that luck of being in a company that that you know is like yours where you sell to engineers perhaps but if i think that you have to look for for roles in companies where you're kind of that liaison between the technical folks and the marketing folks Right. Mm. Um, So what happens is that you're brought in because, hey, you knew your technical stuff, but then slowly you pick up on marketing and then boom, you're in the door and then you have that career, you know, five years later where you're fully in marketing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So there's something I was wondering about, um, on these types of episodes, what often intrigues me is whether, despite your sort of at face value, at least now very far from your beginnings in, in engineering, one thing that you mentioned that was interesting to me along these lines was that, uh, out of engineering, you sort of got this feeling that you could do anything and take on any challenge and that sort of thing. I was wondering if there were other core sort of like not really tenets of engineering but sort of carryovers from your engineering past that you see yourself still using or still thinking about or even just sort of like the way that you approach things in your day-to-day working environment if there's still some some aspect of your old engineering self still sort of kicking around (laughs) that you can (laughs) sometimes come across (laughs) yeah
2: it's not completely dead yet. Yeah. The um so I'll say this. I think it was just as a as a clarification, I, it was the startup experience that gave me, I think, uh, that right. confidence, yeah. you know, and I and confidence in quotes that I can do anything, right? But mm-hmm. uh but I think yeah, there are some things that I that I think that you kind of carry in into any role. I think that there's just it's it's hard to say, but it's like very basic things. First of all, in the role that I'm that I'm in, I, I you have to come up with sort of stories, um, what you'd like to cover? What are the interesting things that you've read about and you've heard? And I've had colleagues say to me, I'm being, being immodest right now, that I bring in great story ideas to our news meetings. And I'm like, really? Do I? They go, oh my gosh, it's all <laughs> over the place. It's like, what do you read? And I've had people ask me, like, can you tell me where you find your stories? I'm like, probably where you guys do too. But then I realized what it is, is that all these different parts of my mind are still working. So, you know, my, my dad being into sort of space and you know, I means that I read those sorts of articles. And then I read, I still read a lot of sort of, I take in a lot of literature about startups and I still think about marketing. Like I still think through like people will meet with me occasionally to say that I have a you know small company we're trying to do this as a favor to me could you sit down and kind of talk through you know how can we get leads better or how could we design this campaign and if it's someone that you know I have a reasonable relationship with that who's not going to waste my time then yeah I sit down <laughs> with them so because of that I find because of all these different interests that All of these become story ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So just like me, you know, me talking to you guys right now could becoming, become a story idea. So that's, that's one thing. Second thing that I find is that, that I am really, like really cautious about A piece that I put together, like I, you know, dot the I's and I cross the T's. And I feel like that I'm not saying therefore that other journalists are in any way careless. They're not. They're just as cautious, but I feel sometimes that I overdo it. And I think it goes back to sort of, I I sometimes think I I feel like I'm putting together, like we had to do these AutoCAD drawings and everything needs to be specific because you change one thing. Everything changes, right? (laughs) So, so even when you're working on a team and you're just designing this small part of that design you're putting together, which you're executing in AutoCAD, you still need to nail it and be so specific. And I feel that, that, that sort of attention to detail. Um, is really important in journalism because you have to do your fact checking you have to be really cautious. The mm. other thing is that efficiencies and that could be just a leftover from like mechanical engineering, but I'm constantly <laughs> evaluating my day to say, How can I get this done faster?' How can I, you know, I, I have you I have kaizened my my jur- <laughs> jur- day in journalism so much that I'm afraid to tell like people like people sitting next to me because I think that they will be like, what is wrong with her? Who does that? But I have like I I it's it, ridiculous every year I start an exercise of, OK, what is ineffective about your day? Why couldn't you work on more stories? You know, why couldn't your the, even the fact that I'm using. Kaizen as a journalist, I think, may be kind of rare, but it's left over from like a skill that I learned in engineering—that you always kind of look at your processes and you look for optimization.
3: It's it's funny because you, you said you said you were worried about telling your coworkers about that. That seems like the kind of thing that would be casual conversation around the engineering <laughs> I office. Yeah.
2: I know. I tell other engineers, and like even I, I I once revealed that I actually have metrics around how many of my pitches. Are picked up by our senior producer And people are like Okay that's crazy I'm like You mean no one else does that Don't you guys want to know Like how many of your stories Get picked up People are like Yes I mean I'm, I'm happy when one of my stories Gets picked up But I don't have stats on that And then I never spoke about Those metrics again That's
0: fine <laughs> But you're right. That that's a core part of that that ethos. Like I remember showing people spreadsheets I put together when I was buying a car that had like different metrics and indices that I was using with like weird functions that would figure out which ones that (laughs) had the right balance of horsepower and power to weight and fuel efficiency and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, like the color coordinated and things like that. And all even just like weird simple little quirks that people share. Like I remember talking to a, a colleague of mine over coffee one morning about how we both had figured out the most efficient ways to walk around our house. <laughs> like if you, if you're going to like the kitchen it's like okay well if I go through this room I can cut this corner and like yeah it's weird <laughs> <laughs>
2: So that's okay that is crazy. I'm sorry.
4: That is crazy. <laughs> Don't put me in that bucket. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right, we we
3: figured out where the uh, the extent of uh, how much you want to be related to your engineering past. You?
2: <laughs> but you know, I think that that um you you do meet engineers that are doing sort of really interesting things in the business world and so I think that th- there's always that interest I find. You know, I've had people also say that you do pitch a lot of sort of startup stories and and stories around science and and things of that nature and i think again it's because of that passion right mm-hmm. so
0: mm-hmm. absolutely interesting
3: cool all right um i think i think it's a good that's a good note to end on the yeah uh, this has been very a, motivational the, and positive Yeah, for sure i, yeah. I i'm it's interesting to, we'll have to think about, uh, what our, uh, what our thesis here is. It's, you can push your, push your boundaries as long as you are sure you want to be on the other side of those boundaries. Yes. Or-
4: <laughs> oh, well
2: put. That's, I'm going to use that line next
4: time <laughs> <laughs>
3: someone asks me
2: about change and I'll say it's original.
3: <laughs> All right.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: No, I, I like that. It's, it's, it really rung true with me because, I mean, the role that I currently have is already a was a significantly st- a significant step from what I was doing before, and now we're looking at taking like we're you, you, one of the big things for you with going to journalism was was going and getting another education and and learning specific skills, and it was interesting for us because we've just started doing training programs at work, and I sort of assumed that we were going to do it was going to be training about engineering topics, but, uh, no, like I'm taking a course in writing and I think Ab- Abby's taking a course in graphic design.
0: So yeah. And I'm joining Simon. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about the same thing. Cause it, it's funny for me also, cause I've always thought about, and Simon and I were, were sharing experiences with this. When I started, I was in pretty serious engineering, both in undergrad and grad school, but I was always interested in teaching. And so I kind of slowly moved, especially when I was unemployed and had a lot of time to think about what I wanted to do with myself mm-hmm. towards <laughs> teaching. And like, I, I've now ended up going to the same school as my wife and my mother went to for for teachers college. But we're not doing like we're we're doing like continuing ed courses. But it's, it's funny to make that weird sort of circuitous route, circuitous route around to to something that you've always thought about. And even more strange for Simon and I that it's ended up in the exact or a very similar role to our, our wives and family. Yeah, it's kind of strange. That is but yeah, interesting. We're
3: we're, take, we're taking the uh the incremental step route as opposed right. to the, the <laughs> giant leap route here. <laughs> so uh I guess I guess we're it's an interview, so I get to have a fun fact. Yes.
0: yes. Actually I actually no, I'll save it till after. i have, I have something else I Aww. want to talk about as a surprise for Abby, but I'll do it after. Okay. okay. All right. What's a good fun fact? Ooh, I have a good one. I don't know if this counts as
3: uh, as an etymology fact, but do you know why when you've won something with, like, no competition, they say you've won hands down?
1: No.
4: no.
3: Okay, so apparently when you in in horse racing if a jockey is so far ahead of the pack that there's like no chance he's going to lose the jockey will let go of the reins and let the horse just run like without without giving it a rhythm without uh huh. without pulling on the reins so and he just lets his hands out to the side and they refer to it as winning hands down
1: ah, so it's that's about, neat
3: you're, you're basically saying like you, you haven't won but you've said i'm so certain i'm going to win i put my hands down i'm not even going to like have to put work for it anymore
2: i had no idea that's that's really neat
3: Mm -hmm. i'd always kind of assumed it was something to do with like cards like putting your hands down but uh yeah this is the kind of thing that i'm like hmm now i need to know i have to go
0: look (laughs) up it'll bother me otherwise (laughs) Uh, that's my engineering nature there (laughs) yeah absolutely so i I had something that was uh i guess apropos our, our brainstorming topic weirdly enough uh talking about recordings and and the differences for us between skype and in-person interviews this is the first of probably hopefully many interviews that abby will be doing over skype from now on i wonder Mm -hmm. abby do you want to talk about what you're doing i'm i'm getting out of the country
1: oh my goodness
0: abby's fleeing fleeing canada
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) no my uh soon-to-be husband will be uh getting a phd in germany and uh i decided that i liked him enough to join him there so (laughs) (laughs) congratulations that's all thank you
0: yeah so abby will be still on the podcast but for the next two years if we continue doing this for the next two years it's already almost been a full year actually now i think about it. so if we do this for two more years then uh abby will be coming to you live in person over skype Wow! It won't we'll be not live sh- or in, in to us? No, it'll be up to us coming to us live. Coming exactly, to the, the, and we'll the, have to figure <laughs> out ways to convey our emotions through Skype rather than
4: in person. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, that's great! All right, well, thank you so much, Manjula, for uh, joining us and Absolutely. talking about uh, mm-hmm. about another really amazing journey from engineering to the real world which is uh if one thing is becoming clear with these with these interviews it's that uh the certainty you have coming out of your undergraduate engineering that you know where it's going to take you is probably not as uh, as well founded as many it's all graduates lies. may think.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no kidding that's so yeah well put yeah.
3: All right well thank you so much awesome.
2: Thank, Thank you, you for having me. This was such a fun chat and and when you guys have that solution figured out, the one we brainstormed at the yeah. start, I'd I'd love to have it actually.
4: <laughs> Especially <laughs> sure, the one with sure. the
2: fake personas. Occasionally I need those. Yeah. <laughs> what
0: well, right. about the list of things to do right after Simon and I make our robotic garden, which we keep <laughs> talking about? <laughs> and and our and the modular shoes, modular yeah, exactly. shoes was my favorite one so far. Ooh, I think.
4: okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've got cool. a whole list now. All right, thank you very much. And if you want to uh, let us know other things that you want us to brainstorm, or you want to have access to things that we end up making someday, we're on social media at How Do <laughs> Oh,
2: you are on. Is that on Twitter um,
0: as well? Yep, Twitter and Facebook and uh, other places. I think probably too somewhere
4: around Reddit and all the all the outlets. Yes, you or anyone else on the internet.